Hi, I'm Delphine Goma, a research assistant on the Contextual Safeguarding Project in Hackney. I am joined by Luke Billingham from the youth charity Hackney Quest and Tanya Townsend from Islington Council. Luke and Tanya have both been involved in projects in Hackney Week and Islington to capture the thoughts of children and young people, their concerns and their experience of living in their community and what they would like to see change for the better. The Hackney Week Youth Voice Project was funded by the WIC Award through the National Lottery's Big Local Initiative. The Islington Fair Futures Commission was requested by the Islington Children and Families Board, Council Leader and Exec Member for Children and Families. Today, Luke and Tanya share with us some of the key findings from these projects, which are outlined in the Hackney WIC Through Young Eyes report and the A Future for Us report, and you can find a link to those on the podcast page on our website. There is an interesting thematic overlap in both reports on keeping children and young people safe in the community. We will focus on this specific overlap between the two projects in this podcast as it is particularly relevant to contextual safeguarding. So thank you for taking the time to speak to me, Tanya and Luke. It's great to have a joint podcast with you both. So to begin with, could you each give a brief overview of your project? and how you engage with young people, families, and with other members of the community. So perhaps, Tanya, if you begin? Yeah, sure. So for us, it was a big opportunity to actually just step back because times have changed. So when you think a young person who's aged 17 or 18 today, um, back in 2010, eight years ago, that was when austerity first started in, in, in 2010 itself. So mm-hmm. they've lived through a whole period of austerity through their whole adolescence. So we really had to kind of think, okay, we really need a bit more of a true reflection of what could possibly make a difference to the lives of children, young people themselves. So we started with one simple question, what does the council and our partners, what do they need to do to make sure that every child and young person um, in this instance, no matter how they start or the challenges that they go through as they go up, as they grew up, um, making sure that they have the opportunity to thrive, have the opportunities to succeed their true potential as they grow up into adulthood. Mm. So we brought together some experts, and um, I'm using the, the term experts quite loosely from the traditional way that um, it's traditionally used. So we're thinking about experts by experience, so such as young people themselves who've actually gone through these issues and also parents. Mm-hmm. We brought together some thought leaders, so some kind of business leaders, some academics and researchers as well, and also some of our community leaders. So we brought those all together into the commission and that was led by two young adults, Jermaine Jackman and Kadima Woodburn. Okay. So we actively went out, spoke to different pockets of the community because Jermaine and Kadim were really adamant that the true voice of lived experience came through through this rather than focusing on academic research or statistics um, because they felt that if you really want to get an insight into, into the lives of children and young people, you really needed to approach it um, in that way. And we did look at data but they were particularly interested in what we called um, the invisible and the voiceless. Mm -hmm. So the kind of young people who weren't traditionally involved in youth forums or youth councils, um, but also the children, young people we don't generally tend to hear about. So for example, our young carers or our young LGBTQIA 
young people as well who really wanted to kind of really focus on them and it was really about kind of just challenging some of the pre-existing notions they felt that well Joanne Kadima felt that there were some pre-existing notions that were out there yeah. mainly adult focused pre-existing notions are from professionals or or um, politicians or academics um, and their view about what works for for children and young people and they wanted um, children and young people to guide their own narrative and really challenge those pre-existing notions about what was happening so that people saw the ideas and issues through their eyes and hear it through their voice. So we were just advocates for for that, if you like. And I was talking to Jermaine about this recently because we looked through the government's serious violence strategy, the recent one in response to um, basically all the knife and gun crime that's currently happening, particularly yeah. in the capital. And there wasn't one page where it said, young people told us. Right. And that was quite telling for us. So mm. actually, we quite we felt quite exonerated that we took this approach in terms of the commission. Mm. Interesting. And there's, there's a lot of similarities, really, in, in terms of what we've done as well. Um, essentially, we, we did a similar sort of project, but a more localised one. So whereas um, Tanya's project was about the whole of Islington, our project was about one specific ward of Hackney, Hackney Wick. Mm. Um, so as Delphine mentioned, Wicker Ward, which is the big local area for Hackney Wick, commissioned Hackney Quest to do this work. Wicker Ward had already done a, a bit of research about what was needed in the community and the concerns of local people, and they identified young people as a priority. So then they commissioned us at Hackney Quest to engage lots of young people and find out more about the things that local young people value most, the issues that they face, and their ideas for change. So our first step was recruit, recruiting two young people who are paid to assist me with the project. And then we set about basically running around, talking to as many young people as we possibly could in schools, in youth clubs, in church groups, at different events. Um, and we spoke to some parents as well, although the, the focus was specifically on young people. So we did interviews, we did online surveys, offline surveys, focus groups and workshops and in those workshops we did dif different sort of age appropriate activities and the one that was sort of most successful was that I got an A3 piece of paper I did a very very simplified drawing of the ward of Hackney Wick mm -hmm. and then we did some sort of warm-up activities and then we just got the young people primary age young people secondary age young people to just write all over the map what they thought about every different little part of Hackney Wick and then we took that and analysed then the sort of aggregate feeling of young people towards the different areas, which was really interesting to do. And we've got, um, we had a, a forum of local youth organisations as well um, during the period of the research that we discussed the issues with. And we've now got an, an ongoing panel of young people who we recruited through the sort of research stage who are continuing to sort of work on and think about the issues that the research raised and think about what could be done to, to address what we found out basically. Great, thank you. And community safety was raised as a key concern by young people in both reports. According to the Hackney Weeks for Young Eyes report, young people felt that crime, safety, violence and gangs were issues that caused them most problems. Luke, could you tell me a bit more about how young people spoke about these issues? 
and how it affects them in their everyday lives? Um, so I think it's first of all important important to mention, I know we, we're going to go on to talk about positives about the area. Um, I think there, there are very serious issues and problems that affect the everyday lives of young people in this area. Mm. But I do want to preface that by saying that there was a lot of positive things that young people said of all ages about diversity, local community spirit, neighbourliness, youth centres, community centres, parks and facilities. Yeah. Um, I know we're talking about that later, but I think it's important to sort of contextualise yeah. that. Um, and I think as well, one thing that came out clearly in terms of crime, safety, violence and gangs is that you cannot address those things without addressing work opportunities, without looking at housing, without looking at youth voice. And it was very clear from the young people that they don't see those things as discrete, separate issues. They, they're clearly linked closely. One, one of the most concerning things in, in, in terms of this sort of topic was primary age young people, um, so we went into quite a few year five and year six classes, talking, first of all, just talking about gangs, because we, ne we never asked leading questions about gangs, we only ever asked what are the major issues in the area. And it was interesting to us to see that among other issues, young people of that age, so we're sort of talking sort of 10 and 11, mentioned gangs and spoke about gangs. And the particularly concerning thing was when they spoke about teenagers and spoke about gangs, as if the two things were sort of interchangeable and they sort of conflated yeah. the two at times. And that's concerning just in terms of the amount of fear that there is among primary age young people of older young people. And it's also concerning in terms of the risks of grooming for those young people. If you're 10, 11 and you're thinking everyone wants their teenager is in a gang, is a gangster, then you're clearly in a much more vulnerable position if, if you are approached to be groomed. When we got the statistics, we found out that around 1% of young people in Hackney Wick and across Hackney are involved in the criminal justice system. Mm. Obviously, that's only young people that have been caught, but mm. it's still a very, very tiny proportion. Yeah. So, so clearly, that concern, that, that worry among primary age young people is, is somewhat out of proportion, and there's, there's myth-busting work that needs to be done, that needs to be worked on to, to build positive, more positive perceptions of older young people, and, and obviously older young people themselves can play a big role in that and in, be, in being positive role models, I think. Um, among older young people, um, there was a focus on status, reputation, money, belonging, all of the various different factors which play a role in young people getting involved in gang activity or getting involved in criminal activity. and they were sort of talking about everyday life in the local area and thinking where are the places where it's easiest to get status, um, belonging, money and so on. And taking just money as an example, some young people said to us quite frankly that it's often, for many young people, easier for them to get money if they want to go down an illegal route than down a legal route. Mm. And so that in itself presents a significant challenge in terms of the opportunities that we're providing for young people and I think young people do think in quite a contextual way I think it's quite an intuitive way of thinking in terms of what do young people get from their family what do they get from their school what do they get from their neighborhood what do they get from work mm. if you're lucky as a young person you get belonging you get a sense of status you get hope you get a sense of purpose you get respect from all of those contexts if you're not so fortunate and you don't get those things from those different contexts, that's when the peer group becomes particularly mm -hmm. important, influential. Yeah. 
which can be have positive elements to it but obviously depending on the nature of that peer group that's when it can lead to, to negativity so i think the, the main thing that we found really among the, the older young people was the complexity of this issue and the eloquence and the insight that young people bring to it thank you Lou. that's very interesting and turning to you tanya what were some of the concerns that young people raised on community safety in islington were there any similarities or differences with hackney wick there were loads of similarities and much of what luke was talking about and i think it's quite important to um, also preface this with the fact that when we're talking even though we're talking about two different areas either a micro level or a borough level at the end of the day these are inner London or London problems so um, and sometimes it has to be treated as such so what we do in one borough we also need to think about it, whether we do that in other boroughs as well because children young people don't it's not like living in in a county where you've got oversight of children and people going both living and going to school in the county you know children and people move between between borough lines and they you know that's not an, an issue for them to do so some of these issues that are being flagged up i would say they are very much london issues rather than singular it happens just in hackney week or it just happens in in islington so um much of the, much of the issues did come up there um, and just to kind of um, supplement that, interestingly, similar to what Luke said, is that what young people raised were the wider issues. They didn't, they didn't naturally speak about crime, gangs, community safety, and we didn't, we actually didn't kind of raise that as an issue for them mm. to, to actually lead that conversation. They spoke about what affected or they were influenced by in terms of their safety, particularly in terms of potential involvement in in um, crime itself, but also kind of things that um, affected them as they grew up and mm -hmm. the wider issues in relation to, to that. So one of the, I think one of the key things that came out was having a real kind of true understanding about the phase of adolescence and whether we have got that understanding um, both in terms of people who work with with um, young people but also just generally kind of families parents carers you know older the older generations what they actually even they remember about their adolescence and and how it affects them because it's a it's a really big phase um of big change like i think it's the biggest phase of change that you ever experience in your whole life yeah. your body's changing your mind's changing you're dealing with different relationships you're trying to establish yourself in the world you're trying to establish yourself with friends you're trying to grow in your knowledge to be able to do certain things to progress in terms of academically etc so there's loads of these changes that are happening and what our young people spoke about was that just support as they move along through those changes that actually then manifest themselves if they're not addressed or they don't have those skills into having positive relationships with either their, with other young people or with adults, being able to manage their emotions, their feelings, being able to, if a conflict comes up, be able to resolve that conflict, being able to manage home and money and have kind of a, a real kind of clear path for them about how they're going to get money if you like and be able to, to get, a, to actually buy a house if they want to, 
or rent and clearly they're very they're very kind of they're very intelligent in knowing that the cost of living in London is very very high and what they want to do and they sometimes see their parents or their elders struggling so and that's not the position that they also want to, to be in they sometimes they see their parents and carers struggling living a law-abiding life um, and thinking that's not that's not where how I want to be I don't want mm. to struggle that much as well so they really spoke about how they could be equipped for for those mm. different things to be able to deal with that um, and another thing that came up was about dealing with the challenges that had happened to them when they were younger so mm. either that happened in their childhood that hadn't been addressed yet and actually equipping them with the skills to to get through those challenges or and also sometimes talking about where those challenges had affected them and then affected their relationships so as Luke said then they kind of looked to other peers for example in terms of providing the kind of like the trusted or nurturing relationships that were broken when they were in childhood through, through whatever reason um so they really spoke about that and as I said the mobility issue did come across quite a lot there was one particular thing in terms of traveling um across gang lines now gang lines are quite they're invisible to people who mm. don't know about them yeah. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't know whether you're as an adult whether you're crossing the gang line or not and actually some young people don't know whether they're, they're going across a gang line unless they're kind of quite um knowledgeable what, about what's going on in the area um and also parents fears about them traveling alone mm. um to either youth clubs or youth hubs or even to adventure playgrounds and children from our adventure playgrounds spoke about their parents fearing um them traveling to places on their own even though when you think back to when we were younger being able to go to an adventure playground or just even the playground across the road or you know it was it was really quite easy to do mm. whereas that's not that's not yeah. there anymore and not everything to do with their safety with um, was to do with their physical space either sometimes it was about what was happening online um, and again some of them spoke about how they could be equipped for kind of managing the online relationships that they have that actually adults don't have an insight mm. into and the final thing was um, what came up from our young LGBTQIA young people um, where even though we may think that we've traveled some distance in terms of equality for um, the LGBTQ community in terms of civil partnerships etc however there's still some fundamental issues in terms of how how safe and how how um, involved in the community or accepted by the community and when we're talking about mm. the community for, for the younger people that we're talking about their peers as well um, and how they feel about that and one of one of the young people that I spoke to through the commission um, actually told me about um, being attacked basically physically attacked because she'd come out mm. um, but she wouldn't report it to police so all the statistics that we gather kind of on on the safety mm. of that particular mm. group when I don't think we're we're really kind of thinking about the younger um, LGBTQ um, people um, at all within that because I think sometimes we're fearful about asking them about what's happening in their lives and actually they're really perfectly happy they'd be welcoming to for people to actually talk and understand 
what the issues are for them. So that was just one thing that came through quite this week mm. through us. Thank you, Tanya. And in your respective projects, what suggestions did young people come up with for addressing these concerns and making their communities safer? And how did you work with them to co-produce solutions? Maybe Luke, if you go first this time. So in, in terms of sort of how, how we worked on, on solutions collaboratively with young people, it was something that we focused on quite heavily in our workshops. Um, so myself and, and the young people, the two young people who, who were paid to work with me on the project would lead workshops with, with young people discussing this. And then it's also something that we've continued to discuss all in our Hackney Wick youth panel. Um, and so when I met with the panel yesterday, we were actually talking about uh, community safety and youth violence. And what came out strongly was, again, the focus on a, a sort of multifaceted approach to the issue as opposed to just seeing violence as a, as a discrete issue. Yeah. So work opportunities came up a lot in terms of young people being able to make money legitimately, seeing legitimate money making as something that is achievable, is appealing, as opposed to it being something that's that's very distant and difficult to get to and a lot more difficult to get to than doing a bit of road. Um, there was also an interest in terms of social media, young people differ in terms of how important they think social media is in contributing to violence. Some young people that I've spoken to are, are very keen to emphasize, like it's all social media, social media is doing this and that. Others are very hesitant and will make the basic point that, for example, we've had youth violence in this area for decades prior to Snapchat and Instagram. But what was interesting was young people talking about why it is that some young people are so dependent on social media for their sense of self, for their sense of self-worth, for accessing respect, for accessing status. And what they'd like to look at is, as young people co-producing or leading some work to tackle young, tackle young people's dependence on social media, okay. which would have a whole raft of positive effects, okay. hopefully, but, but one thing could be potentially reducing the extent to which young people engage in like diss tracks and other things that they talk about in terms of like that adversarial like game of reputation and rivalry and status which plays out on social media and can have very horrible real life consequences they spoke about wanting more positive relationships with police um and again on stop and search there were different views but what came up clearly was that if stop and search is going to be done it has to be done in the right way mm. preferably by police that young people are familiar with so we ran a, a football mm. tournament event recently on mabley green the community police officers came along and got talking with the young people, got talking with every, everybody. A couple of days later, one of the young people from the panel saw one of those uh, police officers and she just said she had a really nice short conversation with her. And she said that that's one of the first times that that has happened. And she was mm -hmm. just saying, like, if in our communities we have these recognisable, friendly figures, potentially some sort of youth specialist police who are sort of community police focused on young people, then if stop and search happens, it's a whole different prospect from this authoritarian figure deciding that they're going to search you um, without without knowing you at all. And they spoke a lot about the need for there to be more support for victims of youth violence mm. um, and their friends and for the friends of perpetrators as well. There's a big focus on the fact that the whole peer group is affected when, when there is youth violence. Obviously the whole community is affected in lots of ways, but they were very concerned that sort of intra- peer group work and inter peer mm. group work needs to be done because a lot a lot of this is obviously tension and conflict between different groups and so in order for it to be addressed effectively you have to look inside those groups mm. and what's happening 
but we also have to look at what's happening between groups, why it's happening and how it can be addressed. And I think in, in terms of the contextual safeguarding work to, to get sort of like vaguely theoretical, <laughs> obviously it's, it's all about thinking about the capacity to safeguard in different contexts. And it's about the risk factors that young people face and the protective factors that young people face in terms of what will make it more likely for them to come into harm and what will make it less likely. And I think this, this links in closely to other work on like social ecology, mm. which is again about the different contexts young people are in and about the sort of influences of one context on another. But it tends to be more, focused more positively on what are the opportunities that young people get in those different contexts. Mm. And if you think about young person's life chances, you have to look at interventions or in improvements or co-producing solutions in all of the different contexts. So taking the, sh the sort of shopping centre example, which is sometimes used in contextual safeguarding, I think it's just as important to think about within that shopping centre, what are the work opportunities, what are the employability opportunities, what's the provision for young people to get engage in positive activities. All of those things are just as important as thinking within the shopping centre, what, what risks might young people face, how can we reduce yeah. those risks. And I think... Again, I think that's quite an intuitive thing to young people thinking about their everyday lives and where they spend time. It's not just about where are the risks, how can those risks be reduced? It's about what are the positive opportunities for gaining that money, if, if it's relevant in terms of work opportunities, that belonging, purpose, safety, respect, status. Um, so I think looking at the, the positive as well as the harm reduction is important. Great. Thank you, Luke. Um, what about you, Tanya? What did you find in... Yeah, even just reflect on what Luke's just said. Um, it's just made me think that throughout the whole process of the commission and the different ways that we um, were co-creating some of the ideas and solutions, um, it very rarely touched on the on the negative. It was always about kind of what are the opportunities and what are the assets that could be used um, right across Islington, different communities different places and spaces that would actually help to address the challenges and for, and for me that was quite that was quite a shift from the way that we do things like you know what what are all your problems okay right and let's put a whole long list of ideas some of them that can be quite unachievable and let's do something about it there was some real sense of I guess positive thinking thinking and and when you also think that the context that we're in at the moment is we're in a, um, a financial context where there's not a lot of money mm. either in the public system or in the kind of social system either um, and that's going to get increasingly challenging so it's actually quite challenging for people to come up with ideas um, in terms of what what could be done um, so I mean fundamentally the way that we went about it the issues and the ideas were um, co-created um, right the way through so for example when looking at which is kind of the environmental context if you want to put it like that um, in terms of the places and spaces and how that looks feels for children and young people particularly in light of issues around safety in particular areas gang lines etc what um, what we allowed the young people to do enabled young people to do was um, they they led with a couple of parents as well they led some walking tours right across the borough mm -hmm. okay so they had about three walking tours um and that was so that they could so basically the officers could actually see islington through their eyes 
um, and that was to highlight the positive and negative things about the different places and spaces, but also think about what could actually physically change to make it a lot better. So we collected quite a lot of information. We used kind of cameras, Instagram, you know, a whole variety of different things. Walking out in the rain with them, and it was they led the tour. They designed where they were going to take us. It was completely led by them and that led on to a summit that we had with architects, planners, our um, private developers, for example, our transport planners, our people who process the planning applications and major developments and others. And they then also went out with the young people as well <clears throat> to those different places and spaces. And so, again, seeing it through directly through their eyes and um, and I have to give a big shout out because I can't do this without mm. saying, you know, big shout out to Dinah Bornat for helping us with this. Um, and that really generated a lot of insight and also kind of challenged some of the adults in terms of how they actually see the different places and spaces for, for children, both children and young people and how they could be designed completely differently, um, both visually, but also being a bit more welcoming, making young people feel mm. part of the community. So <clears throat> the, one of the big recommendations that everyone seems to have latched onto in the commission report is about removing the no ball cane signs. It sounds like something quite mm. trivial, but actually what young people are saying is that all that negative messaging tells us we're not welcome anywhere mm. in this borough, even though we're supposed to be residents of this borough. And even though we don't pay council tax, even though we can't vote, we are still residents here, but you're not, you're not making us feel welcome. So therefore, we have to kind of seek other relationships and do things elsewhere. Um, but another event we had was um, what I called the Fair Futures Hack. Um, and that was where we, they, young people co-created um, ideas with adults across the business sector, across the public sector and across the voluntary community sector as well, from a variety of different things. It was really focused on um, the skills for adulthood and life. And again, similar to what Luke was talk, talking about, a lot of the issues they were talking about this the, the kind of skills for life and the skills for work and mm. being able to be really equipped for those things yeah. to be able to kind of have the kind of positive life that we want for them. Um, and it was actually quite scary for the adults actually doing that session because first we gathered all the adults together and they created the ideas for the solutions. Then the young people came in and joined them and assessed their ideas right. um, and then kind of then shaped and changed their, their ideas to then at the end of the session, it was it was a collaboration between the two. But clearly it's quite scary for adults mm. to be told by scrutinised yeah, yeah. Scrutinized by young people and say, yeah. you know, say, right, this is the idea that we're presenting to you. We think you should have more of this. And the young person going, I don't think so. That's not going to work, et cetera, et cetera. So, it was quite scary for them and, and the kind of things that came out from that was more focused on, for example, empowering young people to be able to support each other and a lot of peer-to-peer -peer support, either through the issues and challenges that they were going through because what they were saying is that sometimes when they're going through things, um, the first person that they tend to turn to is their friend. Mm. It won't necessarily be a professional it won't necessarily be a social worker that if you know if they do have a social worker in their life it will be their friend so how do how empowered do they, do they feel to actually support each other and finding ways and means to do that 
the other issue that came up was about um, having um, a trusted adult relationship. Mm. So being able to connect with um, adults that they trust to be able to support them through some of their situations and some of the young people actually um, spoke about and it came through in one of the ideas and solutions that um, the whole kind of idea about community parents, for example, um, but also where an adult has had a similar experience to what the young person is currently going through, being able to kind of mentor them through the actual challenge itself. Mm. Whether they are whether they are potentially becoming involved in in crime or whether they they're feeling the effects of it, um, being able to kind of have that support, um, and interestingly, they didn't talk about kind of more youth clubs. And I noticed that seems mm. to be the the thing that's coming out through the adult conversations about what we do around youth violence. You know, we need more youth clubs. Actually, I think what people are talking about is a youth work approach because that's that's mm. slightly different. Yeah. And the youth work approach is a bit more like that trusted adult, mm. that person that can actually support a young person to develop their social and emotional capabilities through mechanisms which are creative and, and address the young person's interests. And I think that's more what young, pe- what young people want, but also what adults are talking about, not necessarily more youth clubs, if you like. And um, like I said, it was more just kind of like taking the views about gang lines into consideration when we're designing transport routes or walking routes for example trying to design mm-hmm. those out so that young people feel safer going into different spaces and that they can go to to um a venue that's across the the borough um how they can raise concerns with about the different transport routes and this was another thing that we also picked up Selena. This is another thing we also picked up where some of the things that they're talking about can't be addressed by the council because we don't have that power. Some of these things are for Transport for London or the London Mayor or even national and uh, national government. Um, so, for example, they're kind of raising concerns about the transport routes. That's a TfL thing. So we're now going to be engaged with TfL to say, look, this is this is what young people have told us. This is the suggestion. How can we make this happen? Um, and the final thing was um, thinking about a way where young people can communicate their concerns um, about safety in different places and spaces in Islington on an ongoing basis rather than um, waiting for somebody to ask them through a consultation mm. about, about things. But that would also be so that we can identify if there are any particular themes and actually target action in a bit more of a responsive way rather than waiting for the issues to to manifest and come up and then going to actually address them. If there's that ongoing conversation with a professional mm. working directly with a young person, it's t- they could possibly capture the information about the different places and spaces that they feel uncomfortable or, or unsafe in, the reasons why, for us to generate that kind of insight to then really target some proper action work with the different groups in those areas to do something immediately rather than wait for a tragedy to happen. So that came through quite quite regularly as well. Great. So this is um, closely linked to the previous question, but maybe if you could um, give me some examples of the positive aspects identified by young people um, and the things that make them feel safe in their communities 
and how these can be encouraged? Um, so, as I mentioned before, that there are lots of things that young people love about Hackney Wick, and you got the sense talking to a lot of them that they felt lucky to have been brought up in the area. And having been brought up in the area myself, a lot of the things that they, they said sort of resonated with me. So, leaving sort of safety aside for a second, Hackney Wick is ringed by parks and, and green spaces. And it's a, I was, when I was speaking to Tanya before, we, we were reflecting on how Islington relatively has, hasn't got these parks. And it's quite a significant difference in terms of the everyday life of young people being surrounded by green or having only one, one or two areas of green that they're able to access. Young people in, in Hackney Wick are fortunate in that respect. And they don't just talk about, oh, I go and play football or I go and have a picnic or I walk around. They speak about parks and green spaces as places where they can unwind, mm. where they can calm down, where they can go where they're angry. And again, this is sometimes quite young children, sort of 10, 11 year olds talking about the spaces in that way. And so in terms of sort of well-being and mental health, that's very significant. In terms of what made young people feel safe and, and um, feel supported, relationships is, is the key thing, as, as sort of Tanya was mentioning before. And what a lot of the young people spoke about was neighbours. Mm. And some, sometimes they were talking about neighbours making too much noise and stuff like that. But mm. more often they were talking about neighbours being kind, about yeah. neighbours looking out for them, about shopkeepers having conversations with them even when they seemed in a mood or whatever. And just about the tightly knit community, especially on some of the estates, it, it mm. seemed to be that, that young people were talking about this. And so there was a sense in which a lot of young people feel valued, feel welcome feel significant feel important within the community and again in, in terms of young people safeguarding and how they feel about themselves and what actions they might take in order to try and access respect access status and so on i think it makes a big difference if within the, the community within the neighborhood as a whole you feel important you feel included you feel valued so that then you're you're not in an insecure position of seeking status of seeking respect because you're valued within the community. And I think it's an important question to think, like what, what is it that can give young people status and respect in a positive way? Who or, or what is it that young people don't want to let down? So if they have strong relationships with a, with a trusted adult, if they have a strong relationship with their neighbours in their area, they won't want to let that adult down. They won't want to let their neighbourhood down. They'll have a positive sense of, of contributing to it, which I think has a huge impact on their, their actions and therefore their safety so i think in encouraging different measures within the different contexts that young people live to help them to feel valued to help them to feel important and to help ensure that they have a have a voice all of those those things will make a significant difference just in terms of their everyday lives and their actions and their safety yeah, i'd like to follow on from that in terms of community feel and ownership came through quite strongly in terms of being being positive whether it was kind of a, a smaller like the smaller community or the community of their friends or the community of their kind of family and extended family or, you know there's so many different um, levels of community that they that they had around them yeah. that it was quite important for them and it was that whole thing about feeling part of the the actual community feeling welcome feeling as if like um that that it belonged to them too. Mm. Um, there was other things such as kind of um, 
they felt really, really, they were really aspirational and generally positive about living in Islington. Um, I hardly came across a young person through the conversations that we had that said that Islington was a horrible place to, to actually live. And um, I mean, they do recognise the challenges, and but alongside recognising the challenges, they also felt really quite aspirational about the, the future. Um, and I think that's kind of one thing that I'd want to emphasise as well, because sometimes we, we, we tend to say that um, if young people are not achieving at, at school in terms of academically, or they're involved in, in crime, etc., it's because they're not aspirational. And I think that, that that actually rejects the fact that they are aspirational, but not in the way that an adult defines what aspiration is. Um, and it's actually kind of just trying to unpick that um, a bit more, but they were generally aspirational. The whole thing about community around them, I think, was one of the things, the positive things that actually they pulled through. Great. And another really interesting aspect of book reports is young people's experiences of the ways in which Islington and Hackney Week are and aren't changing, and the links between change, marginalisation, and safety. Could you both tell me about young people's views on? change in each context in terms of what is changing in a good or bad way and what isn't changing did you like to start yeah Tanya? yeah yeah yes yeah. so um one of the interesting things that came up was the issue about loneliness and social isolation um where we tend to think it's more around for older people and adults but it is affecting the young people as well so that was that was quite an, an, an interesting thing in terms of the way that things are changing. Um, feeling excluded um, by things that them or their families can't control, such as gentrification, such as money, the cost of living, but also some of the decisions that are taken by either national decision makers or local decision makers and feeling quite excluded from that and um, from that process. Um, the absence of their voice about what to build where and how it affects them um, came through something that um, in terms of how things aren't changing if you like um, the impact of housing in particular mm. overcrowding um, on their ability to study and also on their health as well and clearly every local authority has got that big challenge particularly in London um, but the biggest thing for us was quite a number of them spoke about um, the fact that they don't see themselves remaining in Islington, not because they don't want to, but because um, of their ability to actually buy or rent um, right. in, in Islington, in London in mm. general. Um, and that, that is something that particularly concerns them. And with one group, we actually looked at the definition of affordable and they actually laughed um, because they said that that, defi that definition is not affordable yeah. at all when you think about London prices. So um, there was kind of uh, a big chuckle there <laughs> <laughs> uh, about it, but it kind of emphasised for them that um, growing up in, in Islington or in London generally, it's either that you actually have to be very poor or very rich. Um, so th th that's the mm. kind of way that not just they felt about not just Islington changing but also 
um, the wider London context and even where there's been I mean um, Islington's not a place where a lot of um, if you like regeneration projects are, are happening because mm. it's quite a densely populated um, area so as Luke said um, basically in Hackney you can fall out of one park <laughs> and fall into another park literally straight away in Islington um, Highbury Fields if anybody knows it, it's actually the biggest park in Islington, and that's probably that's probably the size of Welsh Street Common. It would rank sort of fourth or fifth, I imagine. Exactly, Hackney, yeah, exactly. So a lot of um, a lot of the outdoor space or gardens for for Islington children is actually the the parks that we actually do have. Um, so there's quite a there's quite a bit in there, but they don't feel that they are benefiting mm. from like for example from King's Cross regeneration, etc. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of similarities in, in the Hackney context. I think there was interest in sort of nuance and sometimes ambivalence from young people in terms of how they feel about change. So in the positive side, they felt like Hackney's reputation was in, was improving. They felt like the sort of appearance of the area was improving different types of shops in the area, new types of people in the area, and potentially new opportunities. But I, I do have to say that negativity towards the way in which the area was changing was just as common, if not slightly more. So they felt like the way that the area was changing didn't necessarily include them, didn't necessarily empower them in a way that affected their belonging. Affordability came up massively in terms of housing, but also in terms of the retail offer in the local mm -hmm. area. And there was a sense in which a lot of young people felt like they weren't involved in, informed about, or necessarily benefiting from the way that the area was changing. And to touch on a couple of those in a bit more detail, I was doing uh, mock interviews for Oxbridge candidates in one of the local schools. And one of the young people had written a lot in his personal statement about gentrification. So obviously the purpose of that type of interview is to challenge his thinking. So I asked him, what is the difference between people from other countries coming into Hackney for economic opportunities in, in the past and wealthy people moving into Hackney for different type of economic opportunity in a manner which seems quite common at the moment. And he thought about it for a second and he said the wealthy people don't assimilate as much, mm. which I thought was interesting and quite amusing. And I think that reflects a perception among some young people that there's different types of people, wealthier people moving in, that's what gentrification is, and they don't necessarily feel like they're knitting into the community and like there's that much connection between the two. And some young people expressed that we were talking about sort of creatives and hipsters. Um, I didn't like use that term. We just sort of, they started talking about it and they, they felt positively towards that type of lifestyle. They spoke about individuality, about creativity as positive, positive things. But one young person said, I look at that type of person and think you look cool, but I feel like that type of person looks back on me and thinks you look like a troublemaker. So yeah. th there's questions there about how young people are perceived by, um, those the wealthier people who are moving into these areas and on the point of housing i think it came up massively in hackney as well young people saying that even if they wanted to stay they couldn't some young people were expressing how they felt like it was unfair that they would go like be high performing go to university and then want to be able to come back yeah. and live in in their area but their flat's quite overcrowded they can't go back with mum or dad or mum and dad um so where do they go and there's a feeling of precariousness in the present because that future is uncertain mm. if you want young people to feel well embedded well rooted well supported in their community that's massively undermined by them thinking i'd love to stay here but i've got no chance and i don't know where i'm going to go and i don't know how mm. that's going to happen yeah just 
so because you also made me think about something else that that um that one conversation with um a group of young people I had through the commission process was and um it was I was quite surprised with it because I was expecting them to say what you've just said and um they said um, and uh, so just to give a bit of context as well in Islington we don't have kind of um if you like pockets of deprived areas basically mm. it's it, when you put it all on the map you've got basically one road that could be quite wealthy and literally opposite is the kind of the the deprived part of it so and we it's quite difficult to disaggregate it and what this um group of young people were saying was it was living next to the wealthier residents that also actually made them feel quite aspirational so they'd mm. go outside and they could see the wealthier resident have like a a, a really nice car and they think i'm going to be able to to buy that one day so they kind of um they felt that kind of sense of you know this that is actually where i could go mm. if i really really want to mm. which is actually a really nice positive way of looking at living yeah. you know living beside wealthier yeah. people and i think that 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 works well and, and that can work best when there are positive relationships mm. between different groups so one of the things we do at hackney quest we run a little homework club in a local cafe where the cafe owner just gives us the keys for the evening and we have volunteers who are largely sort of regulars at that cafe who support local children to do their homework and often the the volunteers are from wealthier backgrounds have moved into the area quite quite recently and then through helping with homework and having wider conversations they're building up that connection a bit telling them a bit about their jobs so create creating those connections creating those conversations in a way that so it's, it becomes less of a sort of abstract thing of oh there are these wealthy people moving in and more of a thing of oh there are these people who live near by me who are graphic designers and what the hell is a graphic designer I'll, I'll, I'll find out a bit more about that and maybe that's a pathway that I might want to go down yeah. um, I think just just lastly on the point of, of change I wanted to highlight also the continuity so there's a lot of chat about areas like Hackney and Brixton and Peckham as being trendified or gentrified or regenerated some people talking about it really positively some people talking about it very very negatively but I think sometimes what's lost is what hasn't changed so much in the continuity especially in terms of the challenges and the issues that young people face in their everyday lives things like youth violence lack of opportunities crime housing issues overcrowding doubts about their future have affected young people in this area since my generation and generations way before mm. i presented my research in a local school to all of the staff there was like an old time cockney geezer who'd grown up in hackney mm. a few uh, a few decades ago and he was saying these challenges are the same yeah. challenges that affected my generation and there's a real risk that if we focus far too much on how everything's overhauled and everything's transformed we miss the fact that it's it's a bit it's, it's an appalling fact that the same issues which yeah. have undermined the the happiness the well-being the prospects of young people today they're the same that have been in the area for decades and we we yeah. need to be thinking seriously about why that is and what needs to change in a quite a fundamental way completely agree because when I presented the findings from the the commission and um, I know I was definitely reflecting back thinking this is what they're saying things that I was saying 20 or so years ago as mm. a younger person um, and things haven't changed that much despite possibly 20 years ago there was a bit more money in the system and why is that 
and um, there is something about if we say that we're going to do these changes with and for young people stay in the course rather than thinking that everything is short term mm. and also kind of being a bit real with ourselves and thinking actually is is it our view about um the camera key thing that's going to make this change is it wrong um and actually do we really truly understand the true lived experiences of young people and what could actually make a difference i keep going back to this whole conversation around the recent gun and youth crime debate and it's a lot of adults in the conversation and the youth voice is actually drowned out Mm. Um, so there's a lot of adults saying this is what should happen without any of the young people without them kind of actually turning around to the young people and actually understanding their lived experience Mm. about why things are are actually are actually happening and young people probably also say themselves they they probably don't know the exact solution about Mm. how things are going to stop i don't think anybody knows the exact solution about how this is going to stop but it does it does mean that we have to kind of think about a different way to approach it in terms mm. of thinking okay if we talk about it in a kind of a contextual stroke public health way we need to kind of address different facets of it rather than just thinking mm. right enforcement or other things are going to to create these changes mm. and i think there's so much value in talking to young people about this stuff because on the, on the one hand often they're the most insightful people often they see through a lot of nonsense they see through the jargon to the everyday reality of things mm. and obviously these issues affecting young people so is their voice that, that needs to be heard but even if that's not the case even if some young people sometimes might seem a bit naive or might for example have like an overinflated sense of the importance of social media in this then it's important to think about why 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 that is mm. and and interrogate the problem through a young person's eyes not in a credulous way where you believe everything that every young person says, but in a way where you're thinking about the thought process as something that's interesting in itself and valuable in itself, because it's young people's thoughts and young people's lives that are being affected by this and that are contributing to it in some ways. Great. And so to to wrap it up, to finish things off, um, although we, we mostly focused on community safety um, and and a lot of different aspects as well. I think we've had a very <laughs> short conversation, actually, and it, which was great. Um, uh, but both projects explore other aspects of children and young people's well-being. Um, and what were some other key aspects of the neighbourhoods that young people would like to see improved? So you, you both mentioned quite a few, actually, but maybe mm. if there's any others that you haven't touched upon that you wanted to share? I, I think I'll be very brief stereotypes was a big thing Mm. young people talking about how they're perceived and i think especially given recent events we want to be flooding primary schools flooding secondary schools flooding the media with positive images of the amazing stuff that young people are doing it's a tiny tiny minority of young people who engaged in these situations we need to look at why that is we need to think about what's happened in their lives to take them there but we also need to think about the vast majority of young people who are overcoming incredible challenges Mm. to do amazing things um school and life at school came out as a big one in our Mm. research in terms of young people's well-being and some young people feeling like they had great relationships with teachers there were people that they could go to to talk to positive relationships with peers were fostered but others talking about not knowing who to turn to in school if things were difficult 
Others talking about zero tolerance behavioural policies in school, creating a, a cold culture and creating quite a um, disciplinarian culture. And a lot of talk as well about school exclusions and, mm. and the consequences of that. And it clearly relates to community safety in terms of then the issue of pupil referral units. Amazing work, as often they do, they can become breeding grounds. Yeah. And so thinking about how to prevent exclusions, thinking about how to provide more support, more trusting relationships, more contextual work within schools, I think is, is important and came out strongly. Great. Yeah, so um, again, interestingly, it wasn't always about the neighbourhoods. I've been trying to think um, about why that is, and I really can't pinpoint what it was about. And... Um, so the kind of the other issues in relation to kind of their well-being such we like um that some of the issues are becoming a lot more complex mm. for children and their families and that's really affecting some of the services such as preventing youth crime and also kind of um, the issues for young people with children young people with disabilities etc so that was that was one thing um they also spoke about kind of some of the national changes making it harder to grow up and that was, you know, clearly you could have a, a view depending on the kind of the political persuasion that you you come from. But, you know, they were advocating that, that some of the national changes were making it quite hard for them to grow up. Um, schools, the issue that particularly came up here, well, actually two issues that particularly came up here in terms of schools and neighbourhoods, etc., was for young carers in particular, where Luke was saying that some young people felt that they didn't know who to turn to. Mm. Um, for them, it's a big problem for yeah. for them. And sometimes they're not even realise that they are a young carer. Um, mm. And um, some several in the group that I spoke to spoke about um, when they realised that they were a young carer, there wasn't really kind of any posters or anything in school. It wasn't treated as something as serious as CSE, for example. Mm. So they kind of really felt like they didn't know who to go to. I mean, in Islington, we've got a special service for young carers who, you know, are really proactive and the young carers who use it really love it. Um, but they did speak about that kind of that relationship in school and also with the NHS where they have to support their parents to, to or their carers in terms of their hospital appointments and the, and the, the hospital turning around and cancelling their appointments without mm. any notice and them having to take time off school for things like that. And um, the other thing in relation to schools was, um, and it kept coming through, and it's been coming through quite consistently, and it's not necessarily in terms of the school environment, it was more young people challenging the curriculum mm -hmm. and saying that it's great that they're being supported with in terms of the skills, the academia skills, but what they really wanted was the skills for life and for adulthood and to be prepared, be being prepared for a bit more. So including things like even financial management and being able mm -hmm. to budget. And for anybody who went to university and remembers, you know, living living in student accommodation, being able to, having to manage your, your money and how difficult that was the first time you went there. Imagine for young people that are having to either move out, sometimes with no fault of their own um, in terms of accommodation and having to support themselves on vacay leavers, for example, and be there having to manage a home and money at, at a far earlier age than some other young adults. Yeah. 
it was really really a big challenge and the final one is um just recognition that the challenges are affecting not just low income anymore but middle income mm. families and that the and the young people in middle income families are finding it a bit of a struggle too and their families are finding it a bit of a struggle due to the high cost of living that we have in london cost of housing etc and if you wages are not growing as much as people thought it would so it's all compounding the issue so it's not just a thing of like if somebody's in poverty or on benefits then things are challenging for them but actually the issues are being compounded for people who are in work and people sometimes term it as in work poverty mm. or just generally middle income you have a couple of kids you've either got you're privately renting or you've you know you've, you're managing on a mortgage and sometimes you may be divorced etc so so, mm. so many different yeah. scenarios so it's really starting to think about you know we have to challenge our traditional thinking about what the situation is for families and young people is becoming more complex <coughs> and we need to kind of really understand that as we go forward I mean, the context for all of this is increasing inequality mm. potentially then increasing social exclusion and marginalization and and that sort of macro level context is very important for this i think very very briefly just just on the Sorry. point about life skills and so on it, financial management came up as one thing another thing that came up with young people was like realistic housing options mm. because because of this issue of affordability and so on terms like shared ownership and um social housing but then council housing and then private tenancy and stuff are chucked around young people don't know what they are so even if it is really really difficult for young people to afford to rent or to buy which realistically is the case they still need to be educated on that fact as opposed to potentially naively thinking i'll put my name on the list i'll have a council house it'll be fine like that's another important area of education and also i think for both the transition to adulthood and the transition to adolescence, there needs to be a thinking about the curriculum there. So transition from primary to secondary shouldn't just be about the change of school, but it's about becoming a teenager mm. and what, what that's like. Because there's a lot of fear among primary age young people, not just of teenagers as older people, but of becoming yeah. a teenager. And it's a huge change, as we've spoken about, and as is key to contextual safeguarding approach. Adolescence is a massive shift in terms of the independence of your life yeah. and so more preparation for that in primary is important and is just as important arguably as preparing for adulthood when you're at the secondary school stage it sounds like the conclusion that we're coming to that it's not just necessarily about the the kind of the youth offending service or the social care service mm. or the services it's also thinking about the individuals the community yeah. Um, in, in all different senses, the built environment that's there for, for children, young people and how that affects how they're growing up, but also how it equips them to become really successful adults mm. in the way that they, they really want to be. Great. Well, thank you. That was a really, really interesting conversation with a lot of rich insights, a lot of different things to talk about, um, to think about. And yeah, thank you to both and all the best you. with your work and your Cheers. projects. Thank you. <laughs>